This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Name Ever podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and James and Jordan are joining me to talk about Sunday's 0-0 draw with Spurs at Turf Moor. James, we'll start with you. It wasn't exactly a classic, was it? But Burnley did play quite well. No, it wasn't, but um, <clears throat> I saw Jermaine Jenner say it was the worst game he's seen this season and I think that was a bit, a bit dramatic. It, it was quite a bit of hyperbole wasn't around, full of, wasn't it? You know, like, end-to-end football. It wasn't a thriller by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of people saying really, it was, it was a bit, terrible. That was a bit dramatic. Oh, sure, there wasn't you know lots and lots of chances for both sides, but I thought there was some. Yeah, no, there was some solid football on show, and I thought um, you know in particular, I think what maybe made it boring to some people was that Spurs just didn't like to deal with the the pressing game we we brought, and um, you know I thought we were really probably the best we've been at pressing in the Premier League and I think that's the most rattled we've seen um, sort of one of the bigger sides when they've played us the, the pressing was evident right from the first whistle wasn't it we'd obviously decided we were going to try and stop them playing through in the midfield they had the two City midfielders sat quite close to the defence Mason and Bentley but couldn't seem to get the ball through to them and the best chance of the game was arguably when George Boyd managed to win the ball from I think it was Mason and playing Danny Ings but he couldn't quite get his shot away with enough power Jordan what did you make of the game? Um, yeah, as we've said, um, I thought we pressed really well. I remember Darch saying in his uh, post-match interview that Spurs had a lot of possession, a lot of the ball in their own territory, and he said that's that's fine. Obviously, you know they can have as much of the ball as they want there. But um, yeah, I, th- I thought we pressed really well. Um, you know, I, I think Genus is uh, definitely exaggerating a bit. It wasn't the worst game um, certainly this season, um, but um, I think it's a good point. It can be a valuable point. Um, I think it doesn't help Spurs much at all. I think their Champions League hopes are, are dead in the water now. But as for us, it's another good result, and it's one we had to get as well with um, Saturday's results. Obviously, QPR and Leicester winning, um, QPR particularly um, emphatically. But um, yeah, it's, it's a good point. Um, clean sheet. Um, maybe a bit of regret that we didn't nick it um, we had a few chances but it seemed quite back and forth um, I think the the thing for me was the the standard of finishing from both teams was poor I mean 
the the Paulinho. Um, I don't know if you know it was a, a pass a shot uh, towards the end. It was just whatever shot. it was. It was rubbish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think uh, either side covered themselves in glory in terms of the finishing. But um, no, it's it's a good point and take it with us and, and move on. Spurs weren't really at the best, were they? They were missing a few players. Hugo Lloris was unavailable. Jan Vertonghen was out ill. Harry Kane seemed maybe a little bit jaded, tired. He wasn't at his best either playing up front um, with the captain's armband as well, actually. But, James, do you think it was it was the way we pressed that, that made Spurs look like they weren't really on it? Or was it just one of those days for that? No, I think a lot, of, um, a lot of the way they looked was down to you know the way we were playing. Um <clears throat> particularly sort of people in the middle like you know Christian Eriksen he saw a lot of the ball but he never was really given the opportunity to do much with it and you know Harry Kane obviously I think was you know hustled off the ball sort of whenever it came close to him near the area and um, he didn't get a chance to do anything other than sort of long distance long distance efforts um, I thought it was interesting you mentioned uh, Loris being out because actually I think Vorm stepped up you know sensationally and I think um, you know he's, he's the only keeper who had to do um, what well, you know anything to be honest in the game that's true. I thought the the save at the end of the first half from Ings was certainly the the, the hardest save in the the match, and he made it all very simple. So, although um, maybe people may have thought Laurie's being out was an opportunity for us, Vaughan deputised quite well. Similarly to Calvin Davis at Southampton, I suppose, and the, the number two goalkeeper's playing, and you think that maybe helps, but sometimes doesn't really make all that much of a difference. Um, Jordan, in a game with little really that stands out, there were some excellent individual performances at the back. Michael Duff was the one that I picked out, and that's two clean sheets in three games since he came back into the side. Do you think that's been significant in the last few weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Um I remember I spoke on the last time I was on about Duff's um, not only impact on, on the game uh, and the defence in general, but also alongside Shackle. Um, I think Keane had a good run in the team, but um, when when Duff came back in, um, I said that it would, would be a shirt for the rest of the season and um, he's, he's hell-bent, it seems, on, on proving that. Um, I thought he was, as he said, magnificent on Sunday and um, you know was, was a big part as big reason rather as to why Harry Kane was, was so subdued um, you know I remember Kane having to drop deep and pick the ball up um, and then run forward with it and uh, skewed his effort wide in the first half and I think that was because you know it was, it was being nullified magnificently by Duff who of course has got a wealth of experience and has played against all types of strikers and knows how to deal with the different threats and, and, and things like that but um, yeah in, in the air as well he's been brilliant um, I'd like to think off the top of my head we haven't conceded too many had a goal since he was uh, reinstated back into the side, so I think it's seen a general improvement in our defensive displays, um, and it's a it's a timely boost, you know, coming into the business end of the season now. Speaking about conceding headers, I think it was about half an hour before Spurs actually got a corner, and then they took it short. That <laughs> turf Moor was full of people watching through their fingers when Spurs got a corner, and then they just had to take a short one. It just seemed. Very, very odd and maybe too clever for their own good that moment. Um, just to come back to Duff, James, we seem to be defending a little bit deeper than we were before, but that maybe suits the team a little bit better to soak up that pressure. Teams don't get in behind. We're denying people space to get crosses in and we're playing on the break a little bit more. Do you think that's fair? Um, yeah, but I think, I think there's still been opportunities there for you know other teams to take advantage of um, you know what we've seen earlier in the season that's seen us concede so many goals from the air. I think there was one move in particular where it might have been Carl Walker down the right-hand side um, and he, he just seemed to wait too long. If he'd watched a lot of us, he would have seen if he got the ball in a bit earlier, um, they might have had a chance for, for a header there. But you know, I thought Michael Duff had a you know, great game. Um, 
And at one point as well, that this is something that should never happen. Christian Eriksen broke away and Michael Duff caught him up. <laughs> he must have been rolling back the years from there because there's no way, um, you know, that however old Eriksen is, 23, 22, 23, there's no way he should be getting caught by Michael Duff. Certainly young enough to be Michael Duff's son. Um, one moment that I, I felt was potentially significant was um, early in the second half, Carl Walker went off injured. Um, I think he picked up a knock at the end of the first half but tried to carry on. Ben Davies came on but played centre-back. He's a left-back bad He has played centre-back for Wales but normally in part of the, of the back three and he's not the biggest lad. I just wondered if that was an opportunity for us to switch ins and votes because they've been playing the other way around. But if Fox had gone up against Davies, maybe he could have really dominated him in the air. Or even if Barnes had gone up there, to be honest. But we didn't really make the most of um, Spurs disarray at the back, really. They had back five by the end. It was their backup goalkeeper. Chiriches was playing right back when he's really a centre-back. Davies was playing centre-back when he's really a left-back. And Danny Rose and Eric Dyer aren't very good players. So, <laughs> obviously, a point against Spurs is a good result, Jordan. But was there an opportunity there with how weak, how weak and Spurs were on the day? Absolutely, yeah. I think as well when we've um, you know, we've played them a few times this season, we're familiar with with how they, they how they play. And I think when we took the lead against them uh, in the FA Cup um, early this year by a couple of goals, I think that should have sort sort of served as a as a bit of a boost for us. Really, I thought we should have looked to to start fast again, and, you know, and get out the traps flying. And then, as you say, when when they made the defensive changes, um, some quite unorthodox. Um, to many, I thought it was a really good opportunity to exploit that, um, and I think Vaux's or Ashley Barnes's aerial prowess would have would have done that. Um, quite surprised that Kirikes moved out to the right. Um, as you said, he's not a, he's not an out and out right winger, but you know we should have should have perhaps been you know wising up to that and making the changes to to fully exploit them and get in behind them. You know if it, if it had come, if, if Kirikes had come up against a, a flying winger who could have cut in on the inside or gone to the byline and put it in, it, it would have caused them a lot of problems and. With a big man in the middle to to finish them, it would have been ideal, really. But um, no, I just think you know sometimes the substitutions that Dax makes or the lack of sometimes, you know, he leaves it quite late. I just think they can can hamper us um, slightly, or, or maybe not hamper us as such, but not give us the sort of impetus required to win matches. Yeah, what well, we've talked about the substitutes time and time again. People are probably bored of hearing about that. I just felt that the Davies thing was maybe just a sign of inflexibility. We did eventually make that change and Volts went to go up against Davies, but it was probably 15, 20 minutes after Davies had come on and you want to unsettle him right away when he's playing in an unfamiliar position. And If if I'm seeing something in the stand that obvious, I can't understand why it's taking so long for the change to happen on the pitch. Um, anyway, Burnley's attacking wasn't the most cohesive we've seen it all season. We have struggled for goals a little bit recently, but Ashley Barnes is playing quite well on the left, even though we're not scoring goals. Um, James, how, how do you think the attack's knitting together with this? It's sort of a front three, although Barnes is effectively playing as an auxiliary left winger at times. Well, I think um, you know Barnes has a, has a legitimate claim for man of the match on on Sunday. I thought he was absolutely fantastic out there. I think you do lose a little bit of what he offered in the middle, but at the same time, he seems to do um, he seems to do a lot of good work out there, and it seems to work really well for us at the moment. And how do you think Sam Volts has been doing? He obviously hasn't scored yet. He had a couple of reasonable efforts at the weekend, but have we lost Barnes' goal threat a bit more? Barnes hasn't scored a lot of goals recently either. I think he's been outscored by Ben Mee since the turn of the year. Yeah, I think it just seems like maybe there's a you know a little bit of instinct missing at the moment for, for Volks. Um, you know, there's probably a couple of half opportunities that in the past year you might have thought you'd see him on the end of that he just wasn't quite in the right position for, but... 
you know, I guess that comes with playing games and you know getting back into it. But um, I just hope he, he doesn't have a similar situation to, uh, situation to uh, Duke, which is I think um, you know if you look back at the beginning of the season, I think Djokovic was actually really quite good sort of until um, probably around the Sunderland game at home where he won man of the match. He you know, had a really great game, but he just couldn't score. And I think you know if you keep getting opportunities and you you don't take one of them, I think eventually that weighs on your mind, and hopefully that doesn't happen for Sam. That's a good point. I was going to come to, to Lucas Jukovic next, actually. Um, I can't really understand why we keep putting him on, to be honest. I don't want to be too harsh on the lad because he's he's obviously still trying hard and it's been difficult for him. It's a big step up. But it's, it's not really offering anything for me. There was one cross that Barnes put into the box that was about head height, six yards out. It was exactly where a striker wants a cross. And Jokovic was about six yards behind the play. Should have been attacking yeah, that cross. It was a fantastic I know ball. Exactly the what you mean. And that's just one of those things. I think sort of what I was saying with Sam, where you know maybe you're expecting to be in that position. You, you've just it felt like Jokovic was sort of a yard or two behind. You know when it came to starting his run, and um, you know it was a it was a great ball in. It probably had a, a had a lot on it. You've got a striker in the right position. He's just going to let it bounce off him. It just it seems to me when when the Duke comes on at the end, it's it's pretty much a sign of, of that's that's all we're going to get. I know he's won a couple of penalties, and um, he caused a little bit of havoc at the end, and Boyd had the header just wide. But it's it's probably just a sign of, of how scarce the resources are, I suppose, isn't it, Jordan? We talk about dash and substitutions, but you were talking about flying wingers. We don't really have one, and Jukovic is the only strike we've got to put on apart from Marvin Sordell. It's it's not easy for Daesh when he looks at the bench and he's got not much, to be honest. No, um, I, I, I don't know. If, well, I do feel sorry for, for uh, Djokovic, I think, because we signed him for, what was it, about two, two point uh, five million. Yeah, it's about two million. Yeah, um, and, you know, in pre-season, look sharp. I, I appreciate it was against, um, you know, uh, lesser teams, if you will, and, and in a uh, not really competitive atmosphere, but at least he was scoring goals, and that alone, you know, gives you hope for the for the season. And then, uh, as James said, he had a you know, decent start to the season, first few games, and then I think it's just a confidence uh, issue then, really, because, you know, the the effort's still there, the application's still there, and as you'd expect from someone who plays in, in a Sean Darch team, you know, the, the energy's there and the commitment, but... I remember um, against Aston Villa, I think at home, he did win the penalty, but he missed a Giltes chance from literally a couple of yards out. Which he did, you know, it was an absolute setter. Yeah, um, and then the the uh, header that he should have got to, the cross he should have got to on Sunday as well. Um, so I, I think he's, he's lacking in confidence. Um, it was a big investment for us um, in the summer, and it's just one that hasn't paid off. And similar sort of story we saw Dell. Um, you know, he's only got the the screamer against uh, Spurs, funnily enough, to his name for us so far. And uh, yeah, you know, you said about he doesn't feel that feel that with confidence. Well, it, I don't think it'll fill the fans with confidence either when when you see uh, those numbers being brought up for the substitutions. So. I've I've mentioned um, goals being a problem already. I don't have the figures to hand, but we've only scored a couple um, in the last few weeks. Obviously, Ben Mee scored the header at Chelsea. Judd Boyd scored the winner against Manchester City. Danny Ings is on a little bit of a dry spell. Um, I wonder what you two make of that early chance that I mentioned earlier, because it seemed to me like he was maybe anticipating some contact from Ben Saleb, who was chasing him down. He put a bit of pressure on Ning, seemed to rush his shot. Um, but I don't know if he was expecting to get kicked in the back of the legs, and that would have been a penalty in a red card, but he just seemed to, to rush that a little bit. But it, he still had that fantastic effort at the, the end of the first half. It's it's just not quite going for him at the minute, is it, James? Yeah, according to my dad, he, he was pushed a bit as he came into the area. And, you know, he maybe was, but I think it was very light. Um, you know, he puts that either way and he scored. So I think 
I think in a way he might have just been a little bit shocked that got into the position he did because um, you know Spurs defence seemed to be on the on the heels as the ball came through from you know, from Boyd pressing and they just were at the races. So I don't know whether it was almost uh, oh how have I got here sort of moment. Um, but you really would have expected him to put it away. But um, I think the positive you can take away from that sometimes you know when Ingsy misses chances like that he gets his head down a little bit. But I think on that occasion he, he didn't and. You know, you saw that there in the half when he was willing to have a go from a you know a bit of distance, and it was only a really good save that prevented that going in. I think it's it's a difficult situation with things because I think most most fans are now resigned to the fact that he's going to leave the club in the summer, and I think that that's become a bit of a stick to beat him with. He's not been at his best in the last few weeks, but I think everyone would agree that he's still trying his hardest. He's not like rolling around; he's still doing as much running as ever. He's still chasing teams down. It's just not quite working out for him. Um, yeah, no, there were quite a few um, mumbles when he missed that chance at the start around where I was on the surface there were quite a few mumbles saying that he never scores half chances it's like well if, if you want a striker who's going to score loads of half chances you're probably not going to be able to afford one on our budget since we can't afford a striker who can score a goal full stop apparently I don't know I think he's scored a few <laughs> in his time at Burnley I can you know I can think of a few where he's you know taking an opportunity to score but I think it is strange that you know fans want to beat him um, you know, I think there's one game where I can't remember which one in particular, but afterwards on Twitter, there was loads of people saying you might as well just release him, not play him again all season. It's like, he's clearly putting in the effort, you know, he's putting in the yard, um, just things aren't quite falling for him. And yeah, Adam points out it was Southampton, it definitely was Southampton. Um, then at Southampton, you know, he had another uh, great chance that it was just stopped by a really, really uh, harsh to, to beat him just because he's likely to, to leave. Um, you know, if he leaves, I don't really begrudge him that. If, you know, we've stayed up and it's the result of a you know, Danny Ings' goal on Saturday against Arsenal or you know, even a last-minute goal against Villa on the last day of the season. So I don't think anyone can really argue that we've you know, sort of got our value out of the investment in Danny Ings. John, what's your take on the Ings situation? He's, he's scored nine goals, but he has missed chances as we've talked about. It's, it's difficult to assess, really, but without those goals, we could have been cut off at the bottom already, couldn't we? Yeah, it's a it's a funny one. I mean, it, now's not the, the ideal time for him to start... Um, you know, f- uh, firing blanks as such. But as you say, his goals have been invaluable to us at times this season and people berated him for not taking off chances. There was times last season and maybe the occasion this year where he's produced a goal from nothing and it, it's, uh, you know, it's got us, you know, a point or three on occasion. So um, I couldn't understand people saying that as a sort of spur of the moment reaction, but I certainly don't think it's um, viable enough to sort of uh, use it as a stick to beat him with. But um, I think... His mind, I don't think his mind will be elsewhere. Um, I think he'll be focused on on keeping Burnley in the Premier League. Um, I think you know the effort is still there, but the chance it was one that Danny Ings normally takes nine times out of out of ten uh, unquestionably. I don't think the contact from Bentaleb, I think it was, who was tracking him, was was anything near substantial enough to uh, to bring him down. Um, I saw I think one person say that he should have gone down under contact, but I don't think anything would have been given. Um, you know, and and Dach said afterwards, if he he thinks he almost hit it too well, if he, if he hits it, you know, scuffs it a bit, perhaps it goes into the, one of the corners. But um, I think um, looking at the opposition we've got up uh, coming up, sorry, the fixtures we have coming up, uh, we've obviously got Arsenal next, which is a tough game. But after that, it's teams in and around us who maybe you know um, low on confidence in some areas, and I think Ings is the perfect um, striker to exploit that. And I'm sure against those teams, against that kind of opposition, it's where he'll. Uh, you know, start hitting a purple patch and getting back into the swing of things. James, last week on the podcast we did a special where we talked to fans from from the, the bottom six and pretty much everyone I spoke to said that QPR and Leicester were almost gone. 
Um, now, I don't know if it was our fault, but keep going Leicester both won at the weekend. That's really tightened it up at the bottom, hasn't it? Those results came from nowhere, especially QPR winning at West Brom. I don't think many people saw that one coming. Um, yeah, I think QPR probably put themselves maybe you know back in the mix for, for survival. Um, but I, I still think Leicester have you know, got too much to do. Um, but yeah, QPR have definitely done something we, we didn't really want. Yeah, it was an awkward weekend on the whole, wasn't it? QPR and Leicester won and then after our draw, Sunderland went to win as well. I suppose it, it keeps it all exciting for everybody else, Jordan. But we really need other teams to, to not get those results as well. I mean, we don't want to worry too much about everybody else, but we are going to come to a stage where we do need those teams to lose as well as getting our own results. Yeah, um, after the weekend's results, it was imperative that we got at least a point with Spurs, and thankfully we did that. Um, but as you say, I don't think any team can go through the entirety of the season without casting um, an eye over other games and other teams. Um, as James said, I think Leicester have got too much to do, and I think they're, they'll be down, whereas QPR, I think, are the level on points for those now. So, um, you know, and you've got uh, Charlie Austin, of course, who's, who keeps scoring goals. So um, it's. It's an interesting one that I think I'd say there's probably about four or five teams in the mix um, to go down still for the, uh, you know those two other places if Leicester do go down. Um, but yeah, as the season wears on, you know those last few games we are going to uh, require teams to start dropping points, and um, I think we play Leicester at home and then. Um, the, the final day I mean you couldn't write it really we, we've got uh, Villa away and then it, I think QPR have got Leicester so I mean you know as, as games go those two will be absolutely monumental and I'm sure that uh, from at least one of those matches the the deciding places if there are any left will will um, yeah be, be decided on that final final round of fixtures it's, it's difficult for us to, to talk about the bottom six as a whole right now because we're actually recording the podcast on Tuesday night while QPR are playing at Villa so um, anything we say about points or placings could well be inaccurate even by the time we finish recording <laughs> so we've got to be a little bit careful um, Sunderland's Derby win lifted them up to to 15 uh, depending on what happens on Tuesday night right now obviously that win sort of came from nowhere as well Jermaine Defoe scored a stunning volley really that, that really came out of nowhere um, is, is there a chance that's going to kickstart Sunderland a little bit do either of you think or is, is that just a bit of a fluke they seem to keep winning derbies I think that's five in a row against Newcastle but it doesn't always affect their form what's, what's your view on Sunderland James? I really can't believe that you know Newcastle lost um Newcastle were appalling. They, they were awful. I, just, they, I think they're a side who's sort of already on the golf course, aren't they, for the summer? Um, but I don't know, it's, it's tough to say. They, they still didn't look like doing a lot more in the game. So, um, you know, with that in mind, hopefully they can continue being sort of mediocre and come up against a team with a bit more motivation than Newcastle did. They've struggled for goals just like we have, I think. When they brought in Jermaine Defoe in January, the, the anticipation was that he was going to score the goals to get them away. But before the goal against Newcastle I think he'd only scored one and that was against us so it's not quite worked out but I'll obviously give him a confidence boost um, Jordan I'm not sure if you saw the, the Sunderland-Newcastle game but do you think Sunderland might be okay now or do you think they're still right in there what's, what's your view on them um, yeah I still think they're, they're right in the mix um, I think from here on in they'll be they'll be tighter I think they'll be more difficult to beat because uh, they lost narrowly to West Ham uh, 1-0 and then they kept a clean sheet against um, a very poor Newcastle side um, who were who were just abject on the day and um, but I still do do think they're in danger still um, I don't know what kind of fixture they've got I think they've got some tough ones if I remember correctly so um, 
the the Dick Avocat uh, appointment is certainly an interesting one. Um, you know, comes in from having never managed in the Premier League before, and has been tasked with keeping Sunderland in the league as a as a short term so, short term solution. Um, he seems quite a strict manager as well. It's stringent methods, and um, I think it's exactly what Sunderland need that type of appointment. Um, you know, to to put fire in the bellies and and try and get them from safety. But um, I certainly do think that they're down there. Yeah, coming back to Burnley, then it seems like Sean Dyche has got a settled team again. He's got Michael Duffin instead of Michael Keane. Ashley Barnes is playing on the left, um, but there are players coming back to fitness. Mike Taylor is apparently going to be in contention soon. Stephen Ward's been back on the bench. Um, is is the a change that could maybe improve our effectiveness going forward? Obviously, we've quite solid at the back the last three games with a couple of clean sheets but we are finding it hard to score goals I would certainly make a case for finding a place for Stephen Ward because I think his when he was in the team earlier in the season our form was as good as it's been all season so whether that was at left back or in front of the left back I think it's got to be worth considering that but what about Michael Kiteley's creativity could he add something else He's been a bit inconsistent since signing from Stoke City in the summer, but he does have that ability to create something. James, what's your view? Obviously, Dash likes his settled team, but he has shown a bit of a bit of ruthlessness at times to, to change things when he feels like it's necessary. For instance, Duff for Keane. Do you think it's this team for the rest of the season now, or do you think there is a chance that someone can come in and have a positive impact? That's, that's really tough. Um, yeah, you know, he's made changes, but the only change I could maybe see is if... Um, you know, Sam continues to struggle to to find the net. Maybe um, Kitely coming in on the on the left, um, and Barnes going back up front. But to be honest, I, I can't really see that either. That's sort of a, if I had to say one thing, he might do. Um, I think we probably, you know, barring uh, anything to do with injuries, probably going to see the same team for the rest of the season now. What about Taylor though? He, he obviously started the season. He's missed an awful lot of it, but the fact that he did start the Chelsea game on the first weekend of the season that's maybe an indication of how highly he was rated and valued by Dyche obviously it's going to be difficult for him to come in and, and make an impact after so long out but there's, there's surely an opportunity there we obviously felt he was he was going to be useful Jordan what's what's your view do you think it's this team it's just going to be this team or do you think someone could come in and make a difference what about the new lad Olverstad who was on the bench for the first time of the weekend um, personally I'd like to see um uh, the team freshened up and some changes made. Uh, having said that, cons- consistency has served as well under Darch. And um, once you know we can get a decent, uh, you know, settled side together, that's when we've picked up some of our best results. Um, I think Taylor, um, as you say, started the, the first few games. I remember playing at Chelsea and Swansea, and um, I, I don't know. I think he's obviously it doesn't have any sort of searing pace or anything, but in terms of his deliveries and his passing. Um, that could be crucial. Um, having said that, I'd like to see uh, Cartley giving given another chance on the left wing. Um, Barnes has done well there. Um, but I think the, the front two are pretty much settled. Uh, Volk's innings now for the rest of the season. Uh, the back four, yeah, as you were. So I'd, I think there's little room for manoeuvre because we spoke earlier about how uh, little option Darch has coming from the bench um, and, and you know from the reserves. Um so I think it's best just to sort of stick with this team and I think that's the approach you'll go for. Um, I think any changes from here on in will be um, injuries if, if they're forced, if his hands are forced into making any changes. It, it is a difficult one. I mean, I, I was just talking about Stephen Ward and I'd make a case for him playing instead of Ben Mee, but Ben Mee is playing quite well, so it will be hard to drop him. I think the thing for me is that we've only won a handful of games all season. We've, we beat City 
a couple of weeks ago, but apart from that, we've not really looked like winning. We don't like scoring goals, so why keep doing the same thing that's not been working particularly well? I know that we're, we're in touch and we've been playing reasonably well and picking up draws, but we're going to have to win games between now and the end of the season. I reckon we need to win three, at least, to give ourselves a chance. And I, honestly, with the current side, I don't see where it comes from because I don't think we're going to score enough goals. Um is that inflexibility from Daesh potentially going to cost us or does the, the benefit of having having that settled team and that consistency, does that outweigh any of that? Obviously, Daesh, Daesh likes to stick to his team. I saw something on, on Twitter, I think it was from, from Match of the Day 2 or something on Match of the Day Extra, saying that Burnley are unchanged is one of the most common phrases in football. Is it is it not a case that you've just got to change things and see what happens? Remember... When Barnes got in the team, it was almost just his turn to have a goal. Dash was casting around for a solution, and, and Barnes up front turned out to be the answer. What do you make of that, James? Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't. I managed to convince you. you know, I think when Barnes came in, you know, the, the fan reaction was very much, "What on earth are you doing, bringing Barnes in? He's not going to score. He's not even a Championship player." Uh, and you know, I think he's shown that if you have the right work rate, that you know anyone can can make things happen in the Premier League um, I think it's just very difficult to see him change anything now unless you know Taylor can come back you know, I think it's probably going to be a big ask with how much of the season he's missed now to, to, you know, to get up to speed and play the intensity that you know Dash expects we've got you know in the midfield you've got uh, Boyd and Arfield who are two of the biggest runners in the league um, and I think anyone who comes in in the midfield would be expected to sort of match their, their running I see what you're saying but to to play devil's advocate, you don't get points for how many miles you run during the game. Well, that's true. That is true. But um... <laughs> I'm a big fan of George Boyd. I've said time and time again this season that if he could add a bit of end product, it'd be fantastic. And we saw that in the Manchester City game. But overall, I think his, his goals and assists return has maybe been a little bit disappointing. Arfield in midfield, I think, I think um... he's doing a good job deputising for Marnie. I think on I think on Boyd though you've got to look at how many times he's you know hit the woodwork as well. That's fair. You know, he's he's been pretty unlucky. He's had some you know really great efforts that have just not quite come off him. But on another day, you know he's probably scored. And I think if you look at the you know the magnitude of some of his goals as well, obviously the the City goal in particular is just it it doesn't really get much bigger than that, does it? Um, you know in the in the normal season and. Um, you know, he was close to, to perhaps winning it against Spurs and, you know, you almost think with that header he could have taken it down and sort of tapped it in rather than, than head it because there wasn't really anyone close to him. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Looking ahead to the next game, then Arsenal come into Turf Moor, a Saturday evening kick-off, which um, will hopefully revive memories of Manchester City coming to Turf Moor for a Saturday evening kick-off on the TV. Jordan, Arsenal have been in fantastic form, I think, um, in the Premier League. They're the form team, aren't they? Especially since the turn of the year. Giroud's playing well, Sanchez is playing well, Ozil's come in and done extremely well. On the face of it, it's going to be extremely difficult, but our record against the top sides has been very good this season. Yeah, as... Um... Arsenal, as you say, have been exceptional since the turn of the year, and um, the players they've got, um, you know, fantastic, really. And at this stage of the season, they always seem to be challenging for either the title or um, a top four. I don't think they've had the fate sealed in any sort of um, uh, final position they've gone for, so they've still got things to play for, and that certainly means that they're going to be, um, you know, playing as as uh, hard and, and trying as hard as ever. But as you say, we've got a good record against the big teams. Um, not so long ago, we 
we beat Man City, of course, in a similar sort of um, environment, you know, Saturday night, uh, Turf Moor. Um, so, yeah, on, you know, I don't know if the full lights will be on at any point during the game, but I think uh, we, we perform slightly better under them. Um, but, um, yeah, another extremely game. Uh, Dach has said all season long, these are the sort of games you want to be you want to be watching, you know, you, start, you want your players to be playing in. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can get a good result and then that'll set us up nicely for those slightly easier fixtures, if you can call them that, after that. Um, but by no means is Arsenal a write-off. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm confident in it in a way. I just think, I don't know, we could maybe, you know, uh, if they get complacent, we can maybe seize upon that. Um, I don't know, but we, of course, work better under as underdogs. So, um, who knows? I think we need to try and get the clocks put forward so it's dark for, for Saturday's game. We obviously played better when, when the lights are on. It was interesting. I think Dash mentioned how hot it was on Sundays. There's having a bit of an impact. Our players certainly aren't used to playing in that sort of baking sunshine. There are a lot of burned foreheads around Turf Moor by the end of the game, including my own. I wasn't sensible enough to wear a hat. Um, James Arsenal then. They've been fantastic recently. They were a joy to watch against Liverpool at the weekend. And they might even think they've got an outside chance of catching Chelsea. They've been quite inconsistent recently. But traditionally, they don't tend to travel to rugged northern clubs like ours that well. They obviously had a terrible record at Blackburn and clubs like Bolton have turned them over as well. What's your assessment of how the weekend's game might go? Um, you know, it's, it's difficult because, you know, they, obviously they're in fine form and you can't really, you know, bet against them you know, coming to a place like Turf Moor. But... You know, as you string those sort of uh, those kind of results together, you, the probability of them losing you know has to go up. They've, they've got to lose sometime. Um, so why can't it be against Burnley? And it's a worthwhile point when you make about you know coming to you know, to northern towns that maybe a bit rougher than uh, than than they expect in in the type of ground. Um, the last time they came to the turf in the they were very lucky to to not be beaten. It was only that um, Stephen Fletcher goal that was judged offside um, that you know prevented us winning two one. So, um, but saying that, you know, I'd take a draw again. I think on Saturday against Arsenal. Although the, the flip side to, to that game you're talking about, I remember Cesc Fabregas went off injured after about twenty five minutes, and he'd absolutely run the show. And if he hadn't gotten off injured, we'd probably ended up losing about six nil. So that's true. <laughs> it worked both ways. But not when the referee for Fabregas getting injured. <laughs> probably wasn't the referee's fault Fabregas getting injured and um, what I'd like to do on the podcast every week before the end of the season is just try and see how we're feeling about the bottom six as a whole obviously um, last week we did this the podcast where we talked to fans of each of the, the bottom six clubs if you haven't listened to it it is still worth going back to listen to it even though um, all the comments are at least one game out of date now two games in the, the example of QPR and Villa but it was interesting to hear from the fans just generally about how they think it's going to pan out before the end of the season. Obviously, it changes by the week, which is why it'll be so interesting to, to speak with the guests on the podcast each week to see how they're changing their mind. Um, Burnley dropped down to 19th over the weekend. Like I said earlier, we don't know what QPR are going to do tonight, so we might be above them or we might be below them um, going into the Arsenal game. But James, how confident are you right now? If you gave us a percentage, for example, how confident are you that Burnley would stay up? Um, I'm thinking about 85%. 85 that's quite high. That's higher than I was expecting. Pretty confident. What about you, Jordan? Would you be going higher or lower than that? I feel like I'm doing the prices right now. Higher or lower? <laughs> um, I think I'd be uh, slightly lower, I think. Um, 
Yeah, it is so tight. I can't remember it being this tight for, for such a long time. So, I mean, I'm a bit more cautious, but um, uh, I'm I'm going to use a plug for the club uh, hashtag here of the season and go for hashtag believe. So, yeah, I think we'll stay up. Oh, the marketing guys will love that. It's penetration <laughs> to the fan base there. Got a shout gonna, on the podcast. I was going to say, actually, it's worth mentioning that <clears throat> I was tempted if we beat Spurs to go back a year and um, bring up the post when I said we'd definitely get promoted and do the same, but say we'd definitely stay up uh, and just watch the backlash that I'd get for that. <laughs> got some real abuse for that. It was really funny, actually. <laughs> It's always funny when somebody else is getting abuse on the internet. That's, that tends to be how I look at it. I think I get more than enough. <laughs> we should probably um, start rounding up the podcast there, but we'll do predictions for Arsenal before we before we do go. Um, Jordan, you seem quite positive about the game early. Do you want to give us a scoreline prediction now? Um, I'm going to go for another 1-0 win, and I think uh, Sam Vokes will score. Good odds on that. I'd get a quid on that, but always gamble <laughs> responsibly. When the fun stops, stop. <laughs> James, give us a prediction. Um, I'm going to go 1-1. Danny Ings scoring for us. I think it's going to be tight as well. I think it might be another nil-nil. I think we'll be looking to keep it tight as much as possible. That is all, about all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Thanks to James and Jordan for joining me on this week's show thanks to everyone who's listened we need to thank our sponsors at Neville G as well we couldn't do the podcast or the website without them um, if you've got any feedback at all about the podcast or the website or anything we do here at None and Ever please do get in touch the email address is blog at noneandever.net or if it's podcast specific concern question praise comment that you want to send to us please send that to podcast at noneandever.net you can also get us on twitter at noneandever.net but that is it for this week, we'll be back next week, hopefully um, a bit earlier. We are a bit late this week, so apologies for that. But that is all we've got time for this week. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Tra. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.